Welcome in to Talking Terps, a show which covers University of Maryland basketball and football. Talking Terps is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Terrapins. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome into Talking Terps. I'm your host, Zach Kiesel. Uh, we got a good show. We're going to break down Maryland's loss to Indiana. Uh, we're going to take a look around the Big Ten at what we saw out of the football uh, matchups last week. And then we're going to dig into basketball for kind of our first time ever. We're going to take a look at uh, what we saw out of Maryland in their first three games non-conference and what to expect out of the next week. Uh, and to help me do all of that, uh, my co-hosts, Mike Popovic and Pat Donahue. Pat, how's it going, man? How was your Thanksgiving? It's going well, Zach. Uh Thanksgiving was good, you know, restful. A couple days of uh, just kind of watching football and eating food and uh, not working. So that was nice. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Terps basketball still playing. Looks good. Uh, football, hopefully can get back to playing soon. <laughs> they're they're getting, uh, I guess, kind of used to these breaks or the kind of uh, fluid schedule, I guess you, you should say. Um, but, yeah, all's good in the world. How was your Thanksgiving? All good. Uh, just small, you know, like most people's small. Um, when it just went up to my parents. So yeah. it was good. Good having the time off. Um, did a hike on Friday to try to work off some of the calories with the dog. <laughs> but uh, Mike, how are you? How was your Thanksgiving in the new house? It was nice. It was really nice. Uh, I was doing things around the house and had sports on at the same time. So I was trying to juggle. Okay, let me let me clean this. Let me do this but then take a few minutes to watch the game and then go back and forth. So it was a, it was a juggling act, but no, it was great. I uh, had a really nice uh, Thanksgiving day itself. Got to relax a lot, had a lot of good food, made sure I spread out even the pie over three or four days. So I didn't eat it all in one setting or anything of that nature, one or two days. Uh, so it was great. And uh, watched a lot of games, football and basketball and uh, enjoyed watching that Notre Dame North. Uh-oh. That's, that's me. Oh, sorry about that. That was not meant to be. Anyway, uh, I enjoyed on that Friday watching that Notre Dame-North Carolina game. Uh, that ended up being a good one. But, yeah, it was good to see some Maryland basketball mixed in there as well. And uh, it was good. good weekend. Good eats, good food, uh, good football, good basketball. Always good. Yeah, plenty of sports on. Uh, we didn't get to see the Ravens Thursday night. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't so fun. It was a little more fun than I thought it would be watching them last night. Uh, they they stayed in it a little while with half the team out, but um, guys, believe it or not, it was still more fun to watch than the Eagles have been this season. So. It, it, it really, yeah. I mean, and even down to the end with that touchdown from uh, Hollywood mm-hmm. Brown, and then that third down play that lofted that uh, Big Ben lofted in the air. Yeah, um, as someone who had the Steelers covering in that game, uh, I did not enjoy that Hollywood Brown touchdown <laughs> at the end. You know, divisional games, double digit point spreads. Yeah, that's definitely a- no. It's usually a stay away, but given the circumstances, it Understood. seemed ten seemed generous uh, but, at that point. So. But I will say, we've seen third string quarterbacks win in this game, and the fact that the Ravens did get some players back, I it doesn't surprise me. Let's put it that way, Pat. Not a bad bet, but it doesn't surprise me. Well, yeah, I said bet up until that one play. <laughs> I said to somebody before the game, I was like, I'm feeling weirdly good about this game. And I felt horrible about my honestly. The second I placed the bet, I was like, I know this isn't happening. Like, I know, like, like Mike said, like any other circumstance situation, it could be the worst Ravens team, you know, and the best Steelers team, first and last in the division. And normally, I would never lay that many points in a division game. I guess I overestimated the the non practicing and. It really, it was the RG3 factor that put me over the edge. But hey, even he showed flashes, so that was good. Well, he did, and so did so did Trace McSorley. I always like Trace McSorley. If you told me, if you told me before that Trace McSorley was going to start the game of RG3, no way was I playing that bad. So, yeah, but RG3 had some nice runs in that game, and oh, yeah. he's no Lamar Jackson, but he did a nice job, and he had a big run to get him down there to the goal line right before halftime, and that was just an awful. Look, you can blame the refs all you want. You don't put yourself in that position. That's terrible play calling. Now, RG3 was the one who called called the timeout, actually. Not Harbaugh from what I saw. But the bottom line is the play call up the middle with that little time left, 
you don't put yourself in that situation. If you're going to run the ball, at least try to run it to the outside. That was terrible. And I, I put the blame on the Ravens coaching staff more than I do on the refs for not calling a delay of game. I put it on Luke Wilson for not catching that touchdown. Yeah, but you know, you, you that was a touchdown, man. You got to catch that. That was shades of Lee Evans. You do, but he was sandwiched with two defenders, and Minka Fitzpatrick was right there. Very easy to be able to swipe the ball out, which is what he did. Essentially, on a play like that, you've got to catch that and very quickly secure it or almost turn your body uh, around as quickly as you can to shield yourself from that defender. Although there was another defender on the other side of him, but. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there was a play there, kind of. But, again, you had two defenders right there. So, you know, and Luke Wilson hadn't played all year, barely this year. So That's very true. Yeah. Much like much like Maryland football, uh, the Ravens had half their team out, it seemed. Um, before we get into Maryland's loss, Mike, take us around the Big Ten. What else did we see? Uh, your Wolverines had another tough day. But uh, what else did we see? Yeah, I mean, we can we could certainly start there if you like, guys. And again, I apologize about that video. These videos pop up online that you don't want to pop up, and and it splashes it. But anyway, I, you know, you had a feeling that Penn State was going to have a day at some point uh, where they would come out the victor. And I'm not saying they looked outstanding against Michigan, uh, but that was that was this past Saturday. And again, Michigan's got a lot of issues. Uh, the very first uh, series, you know, the defense lets Penn State go right down the field. And, I mean, they're having their issues. There are guys that uh, have been out all year, as we know. Their secondary continues to struggle. Uh, they were able to get back into this game to their credit. But Kate McNamara on their first offensive series dings his shoulder. So he's not able to throw the football as effective. Joe Milton comes in. Uh, he's just not accurate. And, you know, the receivers have had drops this year. It's just, it's been a multitude of issues. And, you know, Penn State's able to come out to Victor 27-17 in this one. Here's and again, another cleaning tip and see, there Clinton. we go. Cleaning you know, and, uh, bathroom and kitchen. Sorry about that. So We blame the FPS. Yeah, I can't, get the, I can't get the box score. I'm trying to get some box score information. But, you know, the bottom line, though, is that, uh, you know, outside a couple of runs, uh, Michigan had a tough time protecting the passer and also uh, being able to run the football in general, and uh, Penn State was able to make enough plays, and uh, the defense was left on the field too much, and uh, they fall 27-17. So their issues continue. It's just a tough It's a tough year, and Michigan's playing a lot of young guys now, too, that they're trying to mix in. So is Penn State, and you know the Lions come out the, uh, the victor there. But uh, let's go back to Friday, though. You know, Iowa has started to really pick it up after a very slow start to the season. They're on a roll right now. And you're used to, the in the old days, the uh, Nebraska-Oklahoma game. Uh, this time around, uh, as things have changed, Nebraska and Iowa seem to be matching up on that Friday. Uh, but both teams pretty even statistically in this one. But Iowa able to get the ground game going. Tyler Goodson had 111 yards rushing. And they didn't ask too much of the freshman Spencer Petras, uh, who did have about 195 yards passing and a touchdown. And uh, the uh, Hawkeyes were able to get six points in that fourth quarter and pull it out. Uh, but Nebraska played a much better game, more competitive game than they had the week before uh, when they lost to, I believe that was Illinois, and they got they got spanked at home. Um, you know, look, Michigan State at times showing you know that win against Michigan. I'm not so sure was that great uh, as it looks now at the beginning of the year. But it's one of those games, guys, that you expect. Okay, Northwestern's five and zero, but are they going to lay an egg at some point? Are they going to come out and just have that game where you know they don't play? to the level that we're used to them playing. And that that game, that happened. And Ramsey had a couple of interceptions. And Michigan State got out to a 17-6 lead at halftime. And Northwestern played a better second half, but uh, they couldn't make up enough ground there. And Michigan State always seems to have good defensive linemen and a few linebackers there. And some guys left over from the previous regime uh, certainly have helped there. So Michigan State, that's a I'd say that's a program win. That's a program building win, uh, that is, for the, uh, for the Spartans. Uh, you know, Rutgers, that was a nice win over Purdue. Um, it was a back-and-forth affair, though. It was really uh, – yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of the word. It was uh, feast or famine. You know, the Rutgers scores 13 in the first quarter, then nothing in the second, then they have a 21-point third quarter, uh, and then a three-point fourth quarter. But they're able to pull it out against Purdue. Uh, again, I, I like Purdue a lot offensively. Uh, their defense, not so great. Plummer had a couple touchdowns for Purdue. But, um, again, for Rutgers – they're showing progress there. They really are. That's a good win against a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team. Uh, so, you know, Rutgers is about, I'd say, on schedule. Uh, you got to be happy about that if you're Greg Schiano, uh, for the most part. You, you know, you lose in overtime to Michigan, so that team could have easily been 3-3 three and three right now. 
Uh, Ohio State and Illinois canceled because of COVID, and so was Wisconsin and Minnesota. So you had uh, you know four teams that didn't play. Ohio State's going to be down some guys this weekend, as we know, against Michigan State. Yeah, and Ohio State, uh, with the cancellation of this week's Michigan game uh, against Maryland, um, if if they go another week and their COVID outbreak lasts, uh, if Ohio State isn't able to play against Michigan, that disqualifies them from the Big Ten championship game uh, unless the Big Ten changes their parameters, which you have to believe that they will uh, for Ohio State but it would make them technically ineligible as of now for that Big Ten championship game, um, which would be interesting and definitely an interesting development. It would harm their ability uh, to get into the playoff if that stands. Um, So we'll talk about Maryland now. Maryland lost 27-11 to to Indiana. Um, It was definitely a closer game than anyone expected, uh, and we can start by talking about the defense uh, since that's the positive uh, to take out of this game. Pat, we talked last week about uh, Maryland's how how would Maryland's DBs fare against uh, Indiana's receivers and against Michael Penix? Um, and they fared, I think, better than anybody could have hoped, especially when you consider that their best two DBs, Tarheeb Still and Nick Cross, missed the game, uh, and it's some decent cover linebackers in Ayenda Ely and Fanaji Gote. Absolutely. I mean, going into the game, I was even once we found out who was going to be out. Um, in the secondary, I was even more concerned. And I I went from being on the fence of, okay, Maryland can be competitive in this game to totally thinking this could be an Indiana blowout, which, like you said, Zach, you could look at the score and say, oh, Indiana did blow them out. But if you actually watched the game, it, it certainly was far from that. And that was because of the Maryland defense. The Maryland offense was, was awful, um, just not um, on the same page, not ready for this game, didn't execute. Um, but I know we're talking defense now, and I was proud of the way they played, especially with um, the Tarheeb Still and Nick Cross out of the lineup, um, holding Indiana, which is their Penix and their offense. I know Penix got hurt in this game, but it was late in this game, and he looked awful prior to, to getting hurt. Um, held Indiana to 115 passing yards, and this is an offense that has been prolific, one of the best in football in all of college football to start the season. So. Really, I was surprised by how well the defense played. I was pleased with how well the defense played, uh, regardless of the score. I mean, if I had to grade them, I'd be hard-pressed not to give them an A. Um, and, and you know, the offense might be the polar opposite of that from this game, and that's why the score was what it was. But um, certainly very happy with the defense, and I'm starting to feel, and I think a lot of Terps fans are probably starting to regret some, some things that they thought or may have said about uh, defensive coordinator John Hope. Uh, certainly seems to be playing to his strengths now, even when down some players. And uh, it, this man defense with some variable blitzing is really working and a lot better than the schemes we've seen in the past. So uh, I'm happy with what's going on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I was just going to mention that and and bring Mike in here to talk about some defense. I was going to mention Hoke, and I think that, to me, that was the most impressive thing watching that was how he schemed, even with his best two DVs out, um, a number of other linebackers out. Um, you know, you saw guys like Jacorian Bennett, who's been starting this year. He stepped up, but Deontay Banks had some good plays. Um, and he was just playing Antoine Richardson, uh, deep free safety, cover one, and manning everybody else up. So we do have to still figure out the run defense, though. That you is do, a and that's and that's what I was going to say. You know, you know, they didn't allow. <laughs> 234 yards rushing to Indiana, three rushing touchdowns. Stevie Scott had all three. And, Mike, I had shades of, I think it was about four years ago, um, when they put uh, Natty Harris in the Wildcat and ran all over Maryland. Uh, It was just shades of that because they they put Stevie Scott and Tim Baldwin in the Wildcat, and they were just running all over Maryland. Well, I want to go back because it's funny, Pat, you bring up the defense first and we talk about that because when I was talking with my dad or texting him uh, a day or two after the game, I said, you know, dad, look, I I know what the score looks like. I know how successful they were running the football, but I I concur wholeheartedly. I said, I thought the defense, though, put the numbers aside. Numbers can be misleading. I thought the defense played very well in that game. They were left out to to dry way too much in this game because of the pitiful offense, Pat, as you talked about. Uh, Now, as I take a look, too, look, I understand they were able to run the ball very successfully. 
But the fact that you hold try, uh, excuse me, uh, Freifogel uh, to two catches for 10 yards, Ty Freifogel coming off two straight games where he had over 200 yards receiving, you know, that's a phenomenal job with the guys that, you know, Maryland had out. And look, if I'm the offensive coordinator for IU, I understand we're having success running the ball, but I'm getting Freifogel the ball against a depleted secondary and a Maryland team that still you know, has a lot to prove and is building a program where, you know, we're in a much different spot. So that's fantastic. And they also have, you know, Wap Fillier. You know, he only had a couple of catches as well. So they did a really nice job there uh, in the past defense. And again, I know that the numbers were skewed because they were running the football effectively. But still, um, you know, Michael Penix had a tough day throwing the football. And that might be partly why, uh, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, initially they came out throwing, I think, as much as running. And then, they figured out, hey, we're not being able to run, throw the balls effectively, and they were able to run the ball, and, the, and they you know sat with that the rest of the way. Yeah, Maryland sold out to stop the pass as they should have. Um, uh, you know that's that's Indiana's strength, um, and they did a good job of it. And the defense uh, did enough, despite allowing some yards on the ground. They did more than enough to keep the team in the game uh, through at least three quarters. Uh, and it was clear that the offense, and like you mentioned, Mike, you know, the offense wasn't doing them any favors, whether it was turnovers, you know, Talia had had three interceptions. I mean, that's, um, yeah. and, and and you just put your defense in bad positions, bad field position. And at it, there comes a point where there's only so much that you can do uh, and you get worn down uh, being on the field so much, especially with the lack of depth because of 20 some guys out due to COVID. So you know, the, the defense definitely deserves props. And we'll move to the offense because it, it, it was the most disappointing part of the day for sure. Now, we should we should uh, preface this by saying, you know, you had Jake Funk out starting running back. You had Teon Fleet Davis backup running back out. You had two starting receivers in Jay Sean Jones and Rakeem Jarrett out. You had two starting offensive linemen and Johnny Jordan and Marcus Minor out. So that doesn't make things easy if you're Talia Tagavailoa. But we did see the Talia that we saw against Northwestern. It seemed like he was indecisive. He was forcing balls into triple coverage uh, far too often, um, trying to make plays that he had no business making. And it didn't help uh, that uh, the team was really unable to run the ball. We saw some flashes, Pat, from, from our guy Penny Boone. But, uh, you know, ha not having Jake Funk in there se really seemed to hurt the running game. And then the offensive linemen that were out as well. Yeah. And I, I don't even know if I would say that they weren't able to run the ball as much as they got away from the run in this game a little quicker than I would have liked them to see them do. Um, you, you talked about when we were talking about Indiana's offense and their game plan and and Mike was saying how the passing numbers might be a little bit skewed because. Indiana did go with a very run-heavy game plan. They, they ran the ball 48 times. They only threw it 24 times. So clearly that is going to skew the numbers a little bit. But I really think they came into that game plan not only because they saw a weakness in Maryland's run defense, but because knowing how short-handed Maryland was going to be, not only on defense but as a whole, and knowing how as the game went on that would wear on the lack of depth and the energy of those players, a run-heavy game plan only made sense. And now Maryland was down 23 players, but Indiana had 11 or 12 inactive yeah. players as well. That's right. Many of them were starters because of injury and, and COVID. So including their left tackle. Exactly. Yeah. So, and a couple of the guys were on defense and, and whatnot. So I, I honestly, I really like this was the most encouraging game I've seen from the freshman running backs, not only Penny Boone, but Isaiah Jacobs as well. I really didn't think they were going to, look as good as they did because in their brief glimpses this year, neither of them looked ready to me. And that's why you've seen so much Jake Funk. So I thought Jake Funk and the starting O-lineman were going to be major losses. And this team was going to be hard pressed to find anything on the ground, but Jacobs averaged over four and a half yards of carry. I know he got a little banged up. Penny Boom was averaging four yards of carry and, and, and ripping off some nice runs. And it seemed like as soon as they went down, um, I think it was it was before they got their touchdown. I want to say it was like it was before Indiana scored their last touchdown before Maryland scored their final touchdown. But it was like roughly seventeen to three or something like that uh, in like the uh, at late third, early fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. In that position, you're Maryland. Nothing's working on offense. Talia is clearly not playing well. I'm still running the ball down two scores if that's what's working and that's what's at least 
advancing my field position and not going three and out, three and out, or turnover, turnover, putting my defense in a more, my tired defense in a more dis, you know, I, I think I wish Mike Lotsey would have been a little bit more aware of the game situation and known that Indiana's defenders must be getting tired too. So running should only be working more and his own defense was exhausted. So you need to keep your offense on the field longer. I just think that that a lot of Maryland's offensive problems in that game could have been at least hidden, if not solved by a little bit more running late in that game. But um, I mean, as, and then it gets to a point where you can't really run the ball because there's not enough time and you're down too much. So, and the passing wasn't working at all. So uh rough day for the offense, but it, it only gets rougher when you don't commit to the run and you kind of leave your quarterback behind a uh, depleted offensive line out to dry. Yeah. You just keep getting behind the chains and that's, that's yeah. not a recipe for success. We've seen that too often with, with Maryland teams, you get down and you get behind the chains, but here you're right. They could have definitely stuck with the run better. We'll see how they look against Rutgers. Um, hopefully they're able to get that game off uh, next weekend. Uh, hopefully I saw at least Jay Sean Jones. There's a number of guys who have been cleared to practice now. Um, so hopefully they're back basically at full strength. They ought to be uh, getting all of these guys through the quarantine and COVID process, the 21-day process that they have to go through after testing positive. So we'll see. You'll get the Rutgers game, and then you've got the bonus crossover game on championship week. So hopefully they can finish strong, um, may get into a bowl game. We'll see uh, how that all shakes out and how the selection goes. But that would definitely be beneficial to get an extra month of practice for this team. It, you know, I I, I, take, I took a lot of things away from this game positively. The disappointing thing is they, they really had a chance to win this game. Uh, I, I felt to some extent as well, and not to take anything away from Maryland's performance, especially defensively, where we saw some positives there uh, for sure, and they really helped keep the offense in the game. The offense just, again, kept them out there too much. But as I take a look at this, I, I also did feel a little bit that Indiana – uh, wasn't on their game and that they mentally they weren't there or or they just it, it seemed like one of those games where they just they weren't really in it but but Maryland early on I felt eh, man we got a chance in this game but when Tiger Vailoa was that far off on that pass on the first drive in the end zone to a wide open receiver you know that that and, and then you missed a field goal a chip shot that right there told me, oh boy, you know, right, shades of Northwestern. And then you know, you follow that up later on, a little bit later on in the game with interception, interception. It, just too many negative plays at deflating plays. And again, to the defense's credit, you know, they kept the team in the game. But it's just, it's disappointing because they, they really did have a shot at winning that game. And look, as poorly as they played offensively, guys down 16. And, and Pat, you're absolutely right. You have to play and sometimes you have to call offensively some plays uh, to help your defense out, even if that means you may go three and out. If it's three straight runs, you're doing it just to rest your defense there and and maybe also try something different when the passing game's not working. And, yeah, down 17-3, to three, you don't necessarily have to abandon the run at that point. Not at all. You're right. So we'll see We'll see how they finish uh, next week against Rutgers and then the bonus game. Um, but we'll move on to basketball now. Uh, the basketball team got their first three games underway uh, last week, beat Old Dominion, Navy, and Mount St. Mary's. The first two games against Old Dominion and Navy, were, were they won pretty handily. Uh, Mount St. Mary's was close till about midway through the second half, and then Maryland pulled away and ended up winning by 18. So, Pat, give me your initial impressions. We talked a little bit before the we hopped on the air, but initial impressions of the team and what you like. Yeah, um, I like a lot, honestly. Uh, th this team, I know they haven't played the stiffest competition yet, and the competition's about to to ramp up here very quickly. But um, the, the you know you can only play who you play and my you know going by the eye test my eyes tell me this is a team that is ahead of where we thought they would be um in terms of kind of being um you know they obviously have some returning players some returning key pieces in Ayala and Wiggins and Morcel and, and, and others but there's a lot of new pieces on this team too transfers a couple freshmen and uh just kind of a new team in general in terms of the way the team looks when you lose your two best players and leading scorers uh you never know what you're gonna get and this team you know three and oh hasn't really been tripped up by any sort of mid-major early season tomfoolery yet um you know they didn't look great in the first half of that Mount St. Mary's game, but I watch a lot of college basketball and I just know that uh, 
it's just how the sport works. It's not, you're not going to necessarily, you could be a 20 point favorite and you're not going to be winning by 20 points the entire game. Maryland still did come pretty close to covering, you know, the spread against Mount St. Mary's. They, um, at that point, they, that's their, that was their third game in four days. So you could maybe even put a little fatigue on that. Um, I just, I think that this team is, very quickly figuring out its identity, which is uh, surprising because I think we've seen more talented Maryland teams uh, take longer into the season to really find their identity as they try and take several stars and figure out how they're going to use them all together. This team's a lot more selfless, um, takes the best basket almost no matter what, is shooting a very high percentage from the field because they're not looking to feed one guy the ball or they've even said in post communities, you know, our system is, is built to feed the hot hand. And uh, this team has been able to identify the hot hand very early in games. And it's usually been Marcel or um, Ayala or Wiggins. And even last game, we got the transfer Jarvis Hamilton involved. Um, it's just, you're getting a lot of contributions. Uh, Galen Smith's gotten, gotten some foul trouble last game, but I've actually really liked what I've seen from him. Um, even the freshmen, they've played very sparse minutes at the end of some games, but they look like they are um, competent at least. You know, like you can put them on the floor out there in certain moments um, and get something from them. Uh, I just really like what I'm seeing on both ends of the floor from this team and especially from the team's three leaders, uh, Ayala, Marcel, and Wiggins, leading the way. Um, I expect this to be a tournament team at this point. Um, they're not going to go you know, undefeated. They're not going to necessarily win the big 10 but i think that this is a top of the half big 10 team and certainly uh, an ncaa tournament caliber team so mike i want to go to you for your first impressions as well just add on what pat said you know i i look at ayala he's leading the team in points shooting a 72 percent from the field so he's really been that hot hand in most of these games and at most minutes during these games and, and mike before you go just yeah. i'll let you talk about dante scott because i completely left him out for and that that was a big omission because he has been great taking a huge jump from freshman to sophomore year and uh, another guy that they've been able to turn to you know at both ends of the floor but but go ahead mike I, i've yeah. said my piece yeah no no it's a, no problem look um balance comes to mind as you take a look at look at three and oh there's it's not a lot of games so you don't want to go overboard on the statistics too much because there's there's not a big sample size there and those those could change quickly in the next three to to five games uh where things start to play out you know a little bit more to how it's going to be for the season but when you take a look at first the minutes too that, that mark turgeon's able to balance out with these guys but the points uh, especially, yeah, you've got the three guys that you expect to lead the team. They're all right there. The balance scoring, 16 from Ayala, Wiggins, and Marcel, 12 each. But you like to see that balance throughout the team. And the fact that, yes, you don't necessarily have that one guy uh, that's a guy that you know you could count on night in and night out, at least yet. And and hopefully Ayala and Wiggins will be those guys. Uh, but you like what you see out of these guys in, in terms of the equal distribution, finding the best, uh, you know, finding the best shot there. And they've done that. They have looked like a very cohesive team. I mean, I, I know that word gets used probably uh, too much, but they look very comfortable with each other. So balance on the st stat sheet, but on the floor, they look very cohesive. I love seeing the three quarters press uh, that they uh, put in uh, the three, two zone defense at times. I, I've been saying, I don't know why with the athletes Mark Turgeon's had that we haven't seen more pressing and running up and down the floor. But yeah, I, I the, this team feels comfortable. I don't get jitters with it. Now I'll say this, and, and Morcel shot pretty well. Dante Scott had. I mean, you talk about it again. Eleven points, almost six rebounds a game. Just Mister Solid uh, for this team. He shot well from the outside as well. The thing I've always said about Maryland basketball, and guys, I think you we talked about it way back when we first started these podcasts, is you know what Maryland has lacked over the years is having multiple guys that could shoot from three at say a forty percent clip or better. And that's going to be much needed you know, in, in college basketball today. That's going to be needed. So I like what I see from these guys in the half court and such, but that's going to be, I think, and Pat, to your point about a tournament team and how they do in the Big Ten, all right, let me see how they fare shooting the ball from three. Their defense in years past always keeps them in, keeps them in games and competitive and, and gets them wins. But that's the area of the offense I'm going to be curious to see, you know, how they fare. But, yeah, again, balance and cohesiveness. Uh, I like what I've seen. Obviously, the competition will get better. 
I applaud them for trying to reschedule games as best they can. No Mason tomorrow night. St. Peter's, the first time since 81 that they've played them, and that was uh, Adrian Branch's first game, the press release said. Uh, and he would go on to have a great career, so there will be an interesting matchup against a, a MAC team from the Metro. Yeah, I'm a little worried about that game, to tell you the yeah. truth. This is going to be tougher than like, their previous opponents. Against um, the Peacocks. Yeah. yeah, against the Peacocks, and coming in on you know short notice. Um, no, I'm not saying Maryland should lose, but I certainly think St. Peter's can keep this, you know, within a 15 sort of 10 point game pretty easily. Um, you know, to your point, Mike, about being just efficient and balanced, I'm looking at Ken Palm right now, which is, you know, my site of choice yeah. for, for college basketball analysis. Um, Maryland actually ranks number one out of 357 division one schools in effective field goal percentage right now at 65%. Ooh. I've never seen them rank that high in that category. Uh, you know, they're 23 in the country, 23rd in the country in three point percentage, sixth in two point percentage, um, 10th in free throw percentage. They are just their offensive efficiency numbers right now. And granted, not the best competition, but I feel like you can take a little bit more from those numbers than you can from, say, defensive numbers at this point. You got to start somewhere, so you have to start somewhere, and it just shows that they're sharing the ball, they're finding the best shots, they're they're making shots, which you should. Um, granted, you know, they're going to face bigger, longer teams. And that is one, my biggest concern, I guess, as we go into Big Ten play is how will this team do against bigger, more athletic teams? Because this is not a big or necessarily the most athletic Maryland lineup. It's a um, intelligent and gritty Maryland lineup, I guess you could say. Yeah. Well, and, and unfortunately, our, our big man, uh, Mariel, I, I don't think he's going to cut it. No, I don't really include him in our equation of success, unfortunately. Uh, wish nothing but the best for the guy, but um, our big men, in my opinion, right now are uh, Galen Smith, uh, Jarris Hamilton, and uh, that's about it. So we're going to be a small ball team and live and die by that. Um, but I think it's almost better for us to have that identity and realize it early. And I think this team kind of has um, and play to that strength rather rather than try and force Chol in there or be something that, that they're not. Yeah, I was just going to mention Mario. You know, he, just, he still looks lost out on the court. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's a guy that, you know, you look at the history of guys in their second year with Maryland and a lot of times they'll take that step physically and mentally. You know, I, I remember Michael Tchaikovsky, you know, you talk about another guy who came over um, from out of the country and he took a massive leap in his second year, but we're, we're almost seeing Mariel as almost like an even bender. I uh, just, yeah. Just well, also to be, like he, he didn't get, I know he was doing, uh, you know, things on his own. He has his own personal trainer and all, but I'm sure the pandemic kind of, threw off his uh, schedule with Kyle Trask a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, and also, I, I left Dante Scott out again. I don't know why I'm leaving my Philly, my, my Philly brethren out of all this <laughs> conversation, but he is certainly in that uh, front court conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a big body, uh, aggressive rebounder, um, can play on the outside too, but he certainly is going to help in the front court in these small lineups. And uh, they're going to be getting – uh, incoming freshman James Graham the third uh, come yeah. January. He's uh he's about six seven, six eight, something like he's a big guy too. He's not like a uh you know, they don't want to play they want to play him more in the wing than down in the post. But for this sort of team and this lineup, look for him to get in some of these uh you know lineups in the front court as well. Yeah, we just go ahead. I was I'm just gonna mention him, Pat, because you know he'll be enrolling early and he's he's expected to join the team after Christmas. Uh, so he should be able to get in most of most of, if not all of the big ten games. What are they getting in Graham? Dig into his skill set a little bit and how he'll he's gonna fit exactly with this team. Like you mentioned, he's gonna be on the wing most of the time. Yeah, he's a scorer. I mean, he can really like fill out the stat sheets, at least from a scoring standpoint. Uh, he was scoring like 40 points a game in like the high school level in summer league and early, and early in his high school season. Uh, I don't know if he had like a controversial tweet after he announced that he was uh, going to be enrolling early in Maryland where, no, actually, I don't think it was him that tweeted out. Someone interviewed him and like took a quote out of context where he basically said like high school competition had become a joke to him and that's why he had to <laughs> come to Maryland. And honestly, well, it might that, be true. yeah, that quote was most likely taken out of context, but at the same time, it doesn't make it any less true that, uh, I mean, he was scoring, like I said, like 40 points in games left and right. He's the guy can score. Um, he's, he's got a college ready body from the looks of it. Um, 
we'll see if he's actually ready to, you know, bang down low and grab rebounds uh, at the college level. But um, I like what I say. I mean, the, the quickest way for me to put it is he's a scorer and he's got good size. So uh, should be able to help right away. Well, and Pat, didn't he receive a lot of uh, negative response to going to Maryland as compared to staying in state at Wisconsin? Yes, he did. He was a, uh, you know, locally recruited kid, you know, out of the state of Wisconsin. And uh, Maryland was just, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, in on that recruitment sooner. And and that resonated with him, um, you know, not getting that, I guess, that love from the hometown schools earlier. Um, he did have a nice recruiting list. I know, you know, Arizona State, Auburn were, were in on him as well. And, um, you know, just loads of power five schools, high major schools were really, you know, offering. He had over 20 offers and uh, was a four-star recruit. So, you know, 6'8", 210, I'll take that. That's uh, not far from, that's a little bit thinner, very slightly thinner uh, Dante Scott, basically. So... I'll take yeah, especially it. for this team, it's big. Like as we've mentioned, you know, the the lack of depth in the front court, uh, you know, big to get a big, bigger, just a big body, just to put down there. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and he's from Milwaukee. Great. Milwaukee kids are tough and and good basketball players usually. Perfect. So yeah, it's exactly what this team needs. Um, he ought to fit in well. Uh, so so Mike mentioned some of the cancellations. They were supposed to play Monmouth. On Tuesday, that got canceled. They they scheduled the game for Towson on Tuesday. That got canceled. They were supposed to play George Mason tomorrow. That got canceled. Uh, so they are going to play St. Peter's, as far as we know, uh, tomorrow at 3 o'clock. That's a home game. And then they're going to turn around the next day and head out to Harrisonburg and play James Madison uh, on the road. They added a road non-conference game. And then that's all before the big matchup, their biggest non-conference matchup, uh, next Wednesday at Clemson. So, Pat, we talked a bit a little, little bit about it last week, but what are you looking for out of these next three games, uh, particularly that Clemson game, because that's going to be their biggest matchup of the season so far? Yeah, I'll just I'll touch on the first two real quick because I, I do want to talk more about the Clemson game. Um, St. Peter's, uh, they only lost to St. John's by one point in their season opener uh, on the road at St. John's. Uh, this is a team from you know Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, basketball heavy area uh has talented players has won by blowouts in their other two games and are coming in on short notice uh this is definitely uh you know a bit of a trap game for maryland that they they need to be aware of and uh play their best to not get tripped up there so could have an entertaining one tomorrow maryland could also come out and talent could you know cream could rise to the, the top and you never know um the james madison game Shouldn't be an issue. Um, they're kind of on that level of Saint, Mount St. Mary's, which I know gave us issues early in the game. Um, basketball, you never know when, you know, it could get close, but I expect Maryland to win that game relatively easily, even on the road. Um, Clemson, that game scares me. I don't, as much as I like Maryland right now, Clemson looks way better than anyone expected. Maryland looks better than a lot of people expected. These two teams have been two of the biggest movers up the Ken Palm rankings. Um, but Clemson blew out Purdue and blew out, uh, well, South Carolina State is, is no level of competition, so they're supposed to blow them out. But they also beat Mississippi State, another high major team, relatively easily. Um, both of those on neutral floors, the Mississippi State and Purdue games as part of a holiday tournament. But uh, Clemson, they they look like a solid team. They have a lot of upperclassmen, and uh, um, they're a well-coached athletic team. So, um, Pat, who coached them now? uh, Brad Brownell. Brad Bromwell? Bromwell, yeah, sorry. Okay, that's right. Yeah, he – you know, he's he's got senior leaders there and he's got guys that can that can play on both sides of the floor. So, um, yeah, Clemson's looked very good. And uh, that's going to be a dogfight, that one, especially at Clemson. So um, it, Maryland's got to bring their A game for that one. Uh, and hopefully we see a good game. Yeah, that one's going to be interesting just to see how Maryland stacks up because it really is the only real competition that they're going to see before they start Big Ten play. I do like that they'll head to the road, even though it's against James Madison. They'll get one road game under their belt prior to, because before they weren't supposed to have that, uh, the George Mason game was going to be in College Park. So, um, yeah, so James Madison, uh, you know, gives them a little bit of a warm-up outside of uh, Xfinity Center. 
Pat, I, I got to ask you real quick, though, taking a look at Clemson stats, it, it looks like they average 70 points a game, a little under that. Mm-hmm. So that's either, hey, Maryland, you could go outscore them, or that could end up being a, a defensive game. We just have to see which way the, the coin the coin flip goes on that one, but that might favor Maryland uh, in terms of defensively, or they could be just as good as Clemson if, they, if they're only averaging 69 points a game, and they're not a good three-point shooting team, at least no. so far. So. Yeah, that's the type of game where Maryland will have to show its defensive prowess, what type of defensive team they are, and we'll, we'll really put that, you know, 65% field goal percentage to the test because, uh, I mean, Clemson's already held one team to 38 points this year and another to 42 points this year. So they clearly lock up on D. They have their struggles scoring. If Maryland can take advantage of that and play good defense themselves and maybe, you know, test that defense with a little bit of scoring, you might, you know, they might be able to uh, uh, put a little pressure on Clemson there. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be – I mean, Clemson's pretty solid on both sides of the ball, especially defense, so it's going to be a tough road game. Looks like they're playing Virginia Cavaliers basketball. <laughs> they, they are, kind of. They're taking that model a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not It's not a bad model to take. Yeah. By the way, Pat, you mentioned Milwaukee, Wisconsin players, and I was rattling my head, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Jordan Poole and Michigan. A couple mm-hmm. of days. He's a Milwaukee guy. Had a great freshman year for the Wolverines there. Yeah, I was a big fan of Jordan Poole, yep. Yeah. He was another guy. Maryland tried to recruit him as well, but he went to Michigan. Yeah, I've got Ken Palm up here right now, and they've got uh, he's got Clemson uh, ranked twenty seventh, and Maryland thirty seventh. And they were both ranked. Uh, Maryland started the season, I believe, fiftieth, yeah, and yeah. Clemson was like forty nine, like forty eight or forty nine. They were like ranked right next to each other to start the season, but both have been uh, exceeding expectations. You, you guys can answer this for me because we joked about it in a in an early show. But uh, Pat, I think you said something to the effect of. Well, in our system, the guy with the hot hand gets the ball. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. okay, what system? I'm still trying to figure out what. <laughs> well, those, those are their words, not mine. Exactly. Yeah, than, <laughs> that is their system. Feed the hot hand, I guess. Yeah, so. Other than two man and one on one, what is their system? I have no idea. <laughs> Me neither, exactly. But uh, at least from, on the offensive side. But on the defensive side, like you said before, nice to see them mixing up some zone and man and some press, uh, something. Turgeon really started to do more last year, uh, and it's good to see it carry over into this season. Yeah, you can criticize Turgeon for sure on the offensive end with his, I always called it the motionless offense, <laughs> but uh, he knows how to coach defense. I'll give him credit for that. Yeah. The way that they the switch. Point guard. The guy was a point guard. Howard, <laughs> I don't know, is man. a defensive coach and not an offensive coach. He played for Larry Brown. How is that possible? There are defensive point guards out there too. Patrick Beverly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Turgeon was Patrick Beverly at Kansas. And Bruce Bruce Bowen, right, who played for San Antonio. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so in a condensed non-conference schedule, Maryland's going to play three games in the next week, um, including the two in a row the next couple days, Friday and Saturday. So their their stamina will be tested uh, with a young uh, team that's getting – using certainly a deep-ish rotation uh, shouldn't be too big of an issue, but – then they'll hop into Big Ten play on the 14th when they open up against Rutgers at home. Uh, then they've got a game against LaSalle, non-conference game, and then they're into a full Big Ten slate starting on Christmas Day at Purdue. So it'll be it'll be interesting. Like I mentioned, uh, I'll be looking to, at the Clemson game to kind of get an idea of how this team is going to shake out against uh, you know some competition that's closer to them. Um, so we'll be watching for that for sure. Um, I, we might be able to be Penn State this year. I mean, their head coach uh, resigned, as you know, right before. Hey, this- they yeah. won. They they beat VCU on a buzzer beater last night. Penn State has some players too. I don't know anything about the coach that replaced Pat Chambers or anything like a, that. It, it was an assistant. Yeah, yeah, so it's obviously not a great situation there. But if I, hey, maybe that guy's the next up. I don't know anything about him. So if he can hold it together, they actually have enough talent to potentially be, you know, a, a tournament bubble team to it. Ken Palm has them ranked 61st. Um, I see them being picked to finish last in the Big Ten in a lot of places. I don't necessarily, at least not by what I've seen, I don't really agree with that. They had a uh, a transfer from, I think, Binghamton, Seth Lundy, who scored like 35 points last night. <laughs> it's, it's uh, they just have guards, man. They, they lost a lot in the front court, but they do have some guards. Well, this Big Ten top to bottom, guys, is dangerous. Right now on the surface. Yeah. It's stacked. It's very yeah. 
Now, I know we said that about football when the season began, and we're not necessarily saying that now, but uh, but but basketball-wise, this is a very good conference. And I've said very underrated. I know the ACC seems to be the cream of the top uh, or the cream of the, the crop, that is, but I think the Big Ten's been underrated uh, for, for a while. Yeah. But from what I've been seeing and hearing like national pundits say that the Big Ten is getting respect this year in terms of I think a lot of people think that it is the best basketball conference this season from from top to bottom, at least for sure. I mean, you have Penn State uh, and Nebraska, basically every because I'm looking at our schedule right now. Nebraska is just outside the top 100 teams, but every other team is well within, you know, is within the top 70 Uh Ken Palm teams. And, and Nebraska honestly hasn't looked that bad either. I've watched a few well, of their games. They're, that's they're rebuilding. Fred Hoiberg took that program over, right? Yes, he did. And uh, he, um, uh, you know, it's it's a rebuilding sort of yeah. year, but he's a good coach. And they're yeah. a team that runs a certain system and they're going to run Hoiberg's system uh, to the best of their abilities. So there's no identity crisis there. Yeah, you look you look up and down just at the at Ken Palm's top forty, and it seems like ninety percent of the Big Ten's in there. Yeah, yep. I mean, it, it's it's wild. And Maryland's toward the towards the bottom of that group. Um, and we we saw the other night uh, Michigan State knock off Duke. Um, so it's it's going to be a big year for the Big Ten. It's, Michigan it's, State's for real. Yeah, 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 they look good. And and uh, well, and their rivals in Ann Arbor have the number one recruiting class next year. Juwan Howard's got a hot hand. He's going to ride that as long as he can and bring it in, guys. And we'll see how far that goes. But that'll be interesting to watch. Beeline was a great X's and O's coach. Uh, but Howard, uh, we know, is a big-time recruiter, uh, at least early on here. So we'll see how that pans out. But uh, that'll that'll end up being another, you know, again, a great uh, stretch of games between those two. Uh, just alone because we know Michigan State has just been fa- phenomenal over the last 20 years. Yeah, Wisconsin looks good. Iowa, Ohio State. I mean, it's it's absolutely stacked. Yeah, um, and that's exactly what you want as a Maryland fan. See how see how Maryland shakes out. Oh. If they can come out of the Big Ten, they can beat anybody. Yeah, yep. a lot of people like uh, Illinois, saying they're the best team. That's what I've heard. Yeah, Illinois up there. Per, you know, Purdue, Michigan, Indiana. Yeah, they've all, I've gotten to see every team at least once, and I mean, none of them look bad. Purdue's got this seven foot four guy who they just brought in as a transfer and he can actually play like he's not like Chal Mario like out there like like this guy can <laughs> this guy had like is getting like 17 points 10 rebounds a game uh his last name's not harms is it because they it seems like they have like a new no, one but it's, every year it's something short like that they every guy they get exactly. has some sort of short like European name too but uh yeah no he's uh He's a player, man, and uh, I don't know how Matt Painter always finds a seven-foot-plus guy that can actually play some ball, uh, but he does it. He's the best. <laughs> Him and Mark do. And again, like that- Iowa and Purdue always have some, like, big, lanky white guy. Yep, yep. And, I- and Mark Few at Gonzaga. Yeah, I can't stand Iowa's head coach, but I'll say Purdue and Iowa are two programs that – are very underrated in the Big Ten year, and it just nationally year in and year out. I don't think yeah. they Iowa this year though. I don't. I don't. I mean, I think yeah, they're ranked they're, in the top five or top oh, ten. Yes. But yes, they're. I'd say it's them and Michigan State have looked the best so far to me. Um, I Illinois as well, but Illinois played Baylor last night and kind of showed a little difference there in tiers. I'd say of of elite teams, but. Uh, Michigan State, I've I've been extremely impressed by them. I think they're out for blood this year. So, yeah, Mike, my my favorite part about Iowa games, we can break out. I don't know if you've seen the Fran Con meter for Fran McCaffrey. It's like Defcon <laughs> levels. Okay. Yeah, I, we'll, we'll have to tweet it out from the He's... from the Talking Herbs account, uh, and I'll definitely do that when Maryland plays Iowa. But uh, you know, you got all the ten oh. levels, like Defcon levels, but Fran Con. That guy, <laughs> that guy boils my blood. Yeah, some coaches get under my skin. He's one of them. We had a lot of fun with that when I was running the Pride at Maryland. We do uh, cheer sheets before every game, and and Iowa was was one of the fun ones. I think their their mascot got arrested for assault at one point, and and Fran uh, Fran and his wife both got kicked out, ejected from a game when he was coaching at Siena. Uh, so if you thought Fran was bad, you know the two of them as a team, I guess are are just as bad, if not worse. Well, Sienna, I mean, it's Jimmy Patso's uh, coach there recently. Same, same kind. Although I like Jimmy, actually, but um, obviously with the Maryland tie. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it'll be interesting to see you know, how Maryland shakes out. Uh, we'll be watching for that. Uh, Pat, w- what do you have in the works uh, for Baltimore Sports and Life? 
Yeah, so I just had an article published the other day yep. that was um, kind of a uh, thoughts on Maryland football through their first four games. Uh, a lot of it we touched on in, in this podcast, but just kind of uh, what we've seen so far. It breaks it up into kind of different sections of what we've seen so far and then what we're looking to see from uh, the Terps moving forward. Um, I will have one more article coming out before the uh, end of the year topic to be decided, most likely going to be about basketball. Uh, actually, I can't say that. It, did, it really depends whether or not Maryland football gets back to playing here and how things shake out, but uh, look for, look, you know, for that close to the holidays. Yeah. So check out that article up, you know, that he, that he just put out Baltimore sports and Mike, what do you have in the works? Yeah. I mean, I've been on hiatus recently with my move and all that. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to, to write much with the election with my full-time job. So I apologize about that. I've been able to do these podcasts, uh, fortunately, but I think one of the things I want to take a look at is, you know, you've seen a lot of positives. We're seeing things, in the right direction, even with the lost Indianas we've talked about, we're seeing some trajectory in the right direction. I think what hurts this year, though, and I understand all teams are going through it, but it hurts programs more than others is that the fact they missed two games so far and or excuse me, make that three. And hopefully that'll be it. But you talk about the progress and evolution of the Mike Loxley program. Well, it doesn't help now that you miss three games maybe another, that's almost half the season here. So as you project out, how far do, how far does that set back the program uh, or does it not? Or are they going to get enough in this year that it's not going to stymie them? So, I mean, that's something to, to want to kind of, you know, talk about a little bit and, and going forward with, uh, with, with Maryland Terrapins football. But I'll just say, you know, as well, the Indiana loss, while on paper and offensively, it may not have looked great. Uh, there's still a lot of, I think positive takeaways. Agreed. Agreed. And I, you know, I, I would, I would have put up a game preview uh, for Michigan this week, but hopefully we'll get one up uh, for Rutgers next week. Hopefully that game uh, goes off without a hitch. And so definitely look for that. We'll I could have, out. I could have given you Michigan's offense in about two words. They suck. <laughs> they, Talk about another bet. I lost last week and I picked Michigan money line against Penn they, state. Yeah. They, they cannot pass the ball for for their life. No, those are two bad teams, and the the team that was more desperate for the win won. So yeah, should have stayed away from that one. I don't know who's worse throwing the football right now: the Ravens or the Wolverines. Yeah, yeah that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Um, so so look for those articles up on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com and give us a follow on Twitter at TalkingTerpsBSL. Uh, we should be back next week with a look at Maryland's Maryland basketball's uh, game against Clemson. We'll be here to recap that and then preview, hopefully preview, Maryland football's game against Rutgers. Uh, yeah. But until then, uh, for my co-hosts, Mike Popovic and Pat Donahue, I'm Zach Kiesel. Roll Terp.